Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you with us on this bright, sunny Wednesday morning somewhere. Kale and Company Live is presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. And I am very happy to welcome back to the WKXL Airwaves today our good friend from the Spalding Group and the Scott Spradling Band, Scott Spradling himself. Good morning to you, sir. Hey, Ken Kale. How are you, my friend? I am doing uh, very, very well. And, and, I, and I say that uh, because I, I'm very happy uh, the way things ended last night in the National Hockey League with the uh, Vegas Golden Knights winning the Indeed. Stanley Cup in just, yes. their, just their sixth season. I mean, I know they made it to the finals in their first season, but in their sixth year, what a, what a franchise it has turned out to be. It really has. I agree with you, uh, and, and an easy win. I mean, a nine to three, yeah, nine to uh, three. Stanley Cup final game, <laughs> clinching game. I mean, uh, Vegas came in on a tear. I, obviously, because Florida ripped its way to the final through the city of Boston, we were all very familiar with that team and its sort of gritty, tenacious kind of approach to hockey. Not unlike the Miami Heat in their basketball gritty, tenacious right, path to the right. finals. Yeah. So both teams explore, it sort of displayed the same kind of grit and, and intensity. But wow, Vegas, it was never in doubt yesterday. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it's an extra celebration, I think, for those of us in New England, because it was Bruce Cassidy who managed them, coached them through the Stanley Cup Finals. And as we all know, he was he was here in Boston as uh, as the coach very recently. So yes, it's, he was. Um, I, I'm happy for Bruce Cassidy because I do think he's a great coach. I, I am, too. I mean, uh, he has been coaching for a long, long time. I really don't think he deserved to be fired as a head coach of the Bruins, but sometimes I, I guess, you know, the same voice, no matter what it is, whether what what sport it is, sometimes the same voice in the locker room or the clubhouse gets tired after a while, and, sure. uh, you know, a team has to make a decision on that, and I'm not, not knocking Jim Montgomery because uh, obviously he did a great job with the Bruins during the regular you season. Bet. and you uh, bet. But, uh, I, you know, Bruce Cassidy was unemployed for about five minutes. Uh, That's right. b- b- before Vegas <laughs> came a calling, and uh, what a terrific job uh, he he did with them, guiding them uh, guiding them to their first uh, Stanley Cup. And you know there were three former Manchester Monarchs on that team. Is that right? That yep, many? That many. Alec Martinez, the uh, defenseman who uh, scored his yep. second goal of the who playoffs scored? last night, and he. <laughs> He right. scored. He scored the game winner for the uh, for the L.A. Kings uh, in overtime against the Rangers in the Stanley Cup final in 2014. Oh gosh. Uh, okay. So Alec Martinez. Oh, good for Alec. Yeah, Alec Martinez, Braden McNabb, who did not spend a whole lot of time with the Monarchs. I think he played a total of 14 games uh, okay. back in the 2013-14 season. And Jonathan Quick was the uh, backup goaltender. Uh, after being traded from the Kings uh, this season to the Golden Knights. And uh, uh, Quick played 10 games in the regular season for them, made an appearance in one playoff game, but that was it. But he was still part of that roster. So a little local tie there with three former Monarchs uh, on that uh, Vegas squad and head coach Bruce Cassidy. So 
Lots of local ties there. And, you know, the, the, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights were the only team in the, uh, the Bruins and the Golden Knights. There were two that sold out every single game this season. Is that right? Yeah. Now, there's a staff for you. I did not know that. That's fantastic. Well, and I could tell the Vegas program was looking really, really strong, right? Oh, right they, from the yeah. very beginning. They yep. came in and just made their presence known out west. So it's been very impressive. Well, it has been. And, uh, you know, they, they did make the Stanley Cup final in their first year very as first. an expansion team and, and lost to the Washington Incredible. Capitals. But uh, right. But to make it. Uh, to the final in your first year is uh, really unprecedented, really. Uh, oh, I agree. And, and, I agree. And to win it in their sixth year is pretty spectacular as well. Uh, it is. And, which they did. And uh, Mark Stone, their captain, uh, had the hat trick last night. And do you know, I saw this stat. I, I wouldn't have thought this, Scott, but I saw this stat on the game uh, telecast last night. First time that any player has recorded a hat trick in a Stanley Cup clincher since before you and I were born, well before, in my, in your case anyway, well before in your case, 1922. <laughs> Holy smoke. 1922. Wow. That's amazing. I, you, you wouldn't think that, would you? You'd think, yeah, no, maybe no, Wayne, no. Wayne Gretzky had a hat trick in a clincher. You Absolutely. Know, he won four cups. And you think of all the great players, but Mark Stone was the first player to score a hat trick in a clinching Stanley Cup game since 1922. Hard to believe, isn't it? 101 years. That is. That yeah. kind of blows my mind when you start thinking about the sheer talent and just the number of games played. That's 100 chances. So yeah. That's yeah. really that's really something. That, that well, is good for him. That is very impressive. Well, it was a it was a, a an incredible series for Vegas, and you know they it felt like they grabbed control and kept it all the way through. And Florida showed some tenacity, but they they definitely could not keep up with Vegas. So it was a it was a great series. Tip of the hat to to Cassidy and to that entire organization. And I, you know, I'd have to tell you, they're not going anywhere as amazing of a season as Boston had this year. And I anticipate that there will be changes to the lineup because I think that there are, there are a couple guys that are going to go. There's a couple others who might step down from the game. Um, I think we'll see a different lineup as good as Boston was this year. And I don't think they're going anywhere. Neither is Las Vegas. That is a team that is built for success long-term. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And uh, uh, their their goaltender who stepped up, uh, Aiden Hill, I, I thought for a while, uh, I, I was thinking during the game, who's going to be the Conn Smythe Award winner as the uh, playoffs most valuable player? And I thought it might be their goaltender for a while. I think it hurt him last night that he gave up three goals. I mean, they won by six, but he did give up three. I thought that hurt him a little bit, but it went to uh, Jonathan Marcheseau, uh, yeah. and uh, so he got it and got the Conn Smythe Trophy as the playoff MVP, and uh, I remember him when, in his American Hockey League days. He played for the uh, Connecticut Whale, a team that existed for about a year and a half in the, uh, in the American Hockey League, and, uh, and also the Springfield Falcons. Of the AHL, so I saw March yeah. so uh, quite a bit in his minor league days, and uh, well, ha- happy for I mean, him. He had a he had, he had a tear through the postseason. What do you have? 
25 points in 22 oh, games. Oh, yeah, he I was think. amazing. I mean, he was just, and, and like all yeah. the way through, there was no drop off for him. I mean, 13 goals. Yeah. That's an, that's an amazing run. He yeah. was a machine yeah. and just kept it going over and over again. So it was very impressive. I, ironically, among the nine last night, he didn't have one, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is they, did, they didn't need, they, I think someone whispered in his ear, listen, we got this tonight. Yeah. You, yeah. you just take the night off. We got you. Yeah. That's it. That's <laughs> it. So the hockey is done. The NBA is done for the season. And right. uh, yeah, and we'll we'll see what uh, transpires. It'll be, I think, a very interesting season from off season, I should say, for both the Celtics and the Bruins. I agree. I, I think it will I agree. Be. Celtics. Yeah, are... yeah. There's all kinds of rumors already swirling around with the NBA draft coming up in just a few days. There's a lot of interesting rumors swirling around about whether Boston does any kind of wheeling and dealing to, um, you know, ship some players here and there to try to bolster what they've got and. Interesting conversations are happening. I don't know what to expect, but the one thing that you can guarantee is that Boston has, from the top to the bottom of its roster, they have really good depth. They have, they have true contributors that come off the bench every night. It's one of the reasons why the Celtics were so strong all season long is because their, their second team, if you will, was really competitive. So there are, some, um, there are some really good weapons that are on that bench that could be bundled to bring in another big name or, you know, to just sort of change some things up. And so there's a, there's a lot that Boston could be working with. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, it will be. I know uh, certainly Peyton Pritchard wants to yep. be dealt. Uh, you yep. know, I think that he could help many teams uh, I agree. in the NBA, whether it's a, as a starter, which I think he is capable of doing with some teams I in agree. the NBA. And yep. or coming off the bench, I mean, he shoots threes as well as uh, anybody, and uh, he is terrific in that regard. And Sam Hauser, another guy who can shoot the three pretty well, That's right. uh, might yep. be in demand uh, as well. Well, we'll see what happens. Agreed. Scott, we have uh, some, some uh, it's hard to believe, but more serious topics to talk about <laughs> on, this, uh, on this Wednesday morning as we celebrate Flag Day. Right here. Yes, happy Flag Day, my friend. Happy Flag Day. Happy 77th birthday to uh, to Donald Trump. And uh, we'll talk. I'm sure we'll mention the name Trump again before the show is over. Uh, Scott, uh, have another sip of that coffee, and uh, we will be uh, right back. (laughs) Kale and Company on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Concord area, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, 1450 on the AM dial and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Our good friend and bon vivant, Scott Spradling, is with us (laughs) on on the program. You know, I was uh, promoting your appearance uh, yesterday on the show, and I, I said, uh, you know, our resident bon vivant, uh, <laughs> Scott Spradling. So I, I actually looked it up. You know, I never, I've never looked it up before, and it's a person, a person who enjoys a sociable and luxurious lifestyle, is what it says. <laughs> right, right there. Count me in. I'm in. <laughs> I love that. Well, you are a very social, very sociable guy, you know, and uh, <laughs> and uh, there's no doubt about that. And uh, oh, be- before we get into uh, the the topics uh, of the day, uh, when will be the the next appearance of the Scott Spradling Band? 
um, I've, we've got two over the course of the next week. We'll uh-huh. be appearing in Manchester at a special fundraising event for the Manchester Animal Rescue League on uh-huh. Friday evening. Uh-huh. And then uh, uh, next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, we'll be out at Flag Hill Wineries for the Best of New Hampshire event put on by Business NH Magazine, where we're really looking forward to just providing the background sounds and music for folks that are going to come out and see all the booths and the examples of all those things that were voted and elected best of New Hampshire for 2023. So it'll be snacks and goodies and leadership groups and folks, and it'll be a great deal of fun. So we're psyched. We've got a couple of gigs coming up in just the next 10 days. Wow, that that is terrific. And, and folks, if you have never had the opportunity to see the Scott Spradling Band or listen to the Scott Spradling Band, uh, take take your opportunity next week. For the uh, the best of New Hampshire at uh, at Flag Hill Winery in in Lee, and That's as a right. ma- matter of fact, uh, uh, we had uh, a, a a visit from a Flag Hill Winery uh, last week promoting this week, uh, which is Wine Week in in the state of New Hampshire. So. That's right. Yep. That's right. So see, we're we're just tucking it all in together. It's a small, see, it's a small universe. <laughs> it, it is. It really is. Well, Scott, I would have to say that uh, Donald Trump's last day, being seventy six years of age, was uh, a somewhat eventful one. Uh, first of all, uh, pleaded, yeah, not guilty to uh, thirty seven felony charges yesterday in a Miami federal courtroom. Then went and uh, bought food for everyone at a uh, Miami deli. And then, yeah, uh, yeah. Place. How, how about that? He walked into this place and said, food for everybody. You know? <laughs> and I was assuming it meant it was on him. I, I, don't, I don't really know, but I, that's what I assumed anyway. And, well, that's actually a good question, but I'm assuming the same thing. Yeah. And then uh, flew off to uh, Bedminster, New Jersey and raised uh, a little over $2 million for his campaign last night. Uh, gave a uh, half hour or so speech. Uh, about 8.45 last night. Uh, so rather eventful day for uh, the 76-year-old uh, former president. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here after he pleaded uh, not guilty yesterday to those 37 felony charges? Yeah. Well, uh, procedurally, with this particular case, because now we've got, we've got two indictments on the, uh, uh, on the Trump sort of uh, banner at this point, if you will, for this particular case, it's an interesting one, Kale, because I think that the primary and Republican nomination may very well largely be decided before this case is ever fully completed. Mm-hmm. The timeline for this particular case and these 37 uh, indictments looks like it's multiple years. Um, legal experts are, are sort of preparing the public for this to take a while. And the discovery, some of the pretrial hearings, what may happen, just like with the other case, and just like what might still happen in Georgia with investigations into election interference from the 2020 um, election, is that uh, these, these processes will percolate and little reminders will continue to dot the campaign landscape over the coming months as there are updates for each of these cases and potentially more legal appearances one way, shape or form. So it's a little bit like uh, camping without your bug repellent. The mosquitoes are going to be around and you're going to have to swat them away constantly. That's going to be sort of the vibe that I think the Trump campaign is going to have to deal with. And interestingly, I'm watching to see what 
his Republican presidential primary opponents are saying about this. And at least from yesterday, whether it was uh, Nikki Haley or I think even Chris Christie, a few of these folks are, while they are talking about him not necessarily being fit to serve in the grand scheme, this particular series of indictments has once again triggered a level of support from fellow Republicans in the primary field where they're saying this is politics over law. This is politically motivated. These shouldn't be happening. I believe Nikki Haley went so far as to say that she would strongly consider a pardon for Mm -hmm. President Trump if she was elected and things landed on her watch. So there's some interesting reactions and responses. And I can only believe that the reason they're playing that sort of straddling defense kind of messaging right now is, number one, innocent until proven guilty. But number two, because Trump's base is so strong and because that base um, really is the largest that any of the candidates has, if for any reason Trump's campaign and the former president become derailed, those supporters have to go somewhere. So it feels like the other candidates are being careful not to say too much aggressively too soon to keep that base potentially in play should something happen between now and the, and the you know, sort of the formal Republican nomination process. So that's the, you know, the, the legal policy timeline for the court case is lengthy. And the political fallout to me has been very interesting to watch the candidates to a certain extent almost come to his defense. And, and the Trump, Trump support is not wavering whatsoever. In fact, I think no. it's, it's gone up a couple of percentage points over the last few days. I think and, you're right. And I, I don't think I, – I'm not sure there is anything that will sway those Republican primary Trump supporter voters from, from their guy. I don't think there's anything. I, I think the, this process, because it'll take a long time, um, it is, I, I'm not sure what kind of a factor it's going to have. Um, and, and again, I'm not even sure that for the Trump supporters in the Republican field, for those voters that are with him, do or die, I'm not sure that anything that develops out of the Georgia investigation is going to move that needle either. So you're talking about a group of Republican voters that's roughly 25 to maybe 30 percent of the entire Republican Party. It's not the majority. It's not even actually technically close to the majority. But when you have a large field, of candidates, and you can divide that vote amongst a whole bunch of different people. You're not necessarily going to uh, make a dent in the Trump campaign momentum unless and until you narrow the field. Well, very true. And uh, yesterday, I'm sure you saw uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy uh, sent uh, a letter to all of the uh, potential uh, presidential candidates and uh, all the presidential candidates that are out there now. And, uh, you know, asking them if they would uh, vow to pardon uh, Donald right. Trump if elected. And, and you, you mentioned the fact that uh, and Nikki Haley uh, responded to that and, and saying that uh, she would certainly consider it. But anyway, that's uh, that's another story for another day. And uh, <laughs> Mr. Ramaswamy, uh, whose uh, uh, support is not bad. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's made several appearances already here. Uh, in New Hampshire, but uh, his support where is probably what about seven or eight percent right now? I think so nationally. Yes, I think it's less than that here in New Hampshire. Um, he still has some work to do, but he is spending a, a great deal of time and energy and resources on the New Hampshire campaign trail. And to your point, 
Um, he's definitely positioning himself to be someone who could be an alternative voice and vote for a Trump supporter. Um, it, it, his his arguments um, uh, uh, about the reasoning for these indictments were interesting. I mean, he's got he he paints the picture of a full on investigative conspiracy that is aligning up against the former president. And um, it's a it's an interesting narrative to me. It was uh, I, I wasn't totally clear on all of the pieces of the puzzle that he was talking about, but um, he, he certainly is coming to the former president's defense pretty aggressively. So it's quite clear to me that he's looking to be that first alternative to anybody who says, okay, this has become too much for me. I've got to find somebody else, but I want to still cast a vote um, from the Trump supporters. I'd, um, but like, you know, to your point though, uh, Ramaswamy has a lot of work to do because he still has to continue introducing himself. And because he's not from elective politics, which Trump showed you don't have to be, because he's not, he doesn't have the same kind of resume that makes for an apples-to-apples comparison with the other candidates in the field. So he's an, right. he's an interesting alternative to talk about. No doubt about that. Scott Spradling uh, is with us, and uh, we are talking about uh, some of the events of the day, presidential politics, first-in-the-nation primary coming up. Uh, at least uh, on the Republican side here in the uh, state of New Hampshire. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. Scott, stay with us. Uh, we'll have to take a quick break here, and then we'll be right back. More Kale & Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are proudly presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Company live here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Scott Spradling is with us, political analyst and uh, all-around great guy. I'll tell you, Scott, whenever Channel 9 needs a comment, they wisely call on you. Uh, you're very kind, Ken. I need to call you when I just need like an ego uh, like pump up, you know, like when I'm feeling kind of down, I got to call my buddy Cat. You're great for my confidence. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, I appreciate uh, all the time you've spent on this program since uh, since we have been on with your expertise in so many areas. And, and by the way, we'll have to do another uh, another NASCAR show uh, next month uh, before the yes. uh, before the big race in, in Loudoun. And We're only a month away, a month that, from this weekend. That's right. Can't wait. That's right. Looking forward to it. Well, the uh, Republican primary, first in the nation. Uh, we're going to call it that, regardless of what uh, others may say. But uh, the first in the nation Republican primary uh, here uh, in New Hampshire. And the field uh, getting uh, more crowded. I guess the, the latest to enter was uh, North Dakota Governor uh, Doug Burgum. And, of course, uh, be- just before that, Mike Pence and... And uh, Chris Christie, uh, the latest to do their paperwork and uh, fill it all out. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it is a crowded field. Do you expect any more uh, to get in, in the race? Well, uh, I mean, I certainly wouldn't be shocked, but no. I think June is usually the month of the campaign launch for the presidential primary. So if they... If anybody else is going to jump in, we've got what I would argue is another couple-week window. Because as we all know, America tends to go dark and pay attention to a bunch of other things right at the end of the month and through the 1st of July. And then before you know it, you're into the vacation window of voters and, and you know families. 
And it's just harder to break through with paying attention until September and Labor Day. So that gives a candidate even less time to be able to pop around the country and and make a name for him or herself. So I think we've got a, a narrowing window for candidates to be able to jump in. I would certainly not say nobody's left. But we are at the point now where all of the major names have sort of indicated one way or the other what they're going to do. Um, I, I will say that I am not at all surprised that our own Governor Kristen Nunu decided not to run for president. Um, I was I was skeptical from that on the beginning. I was totally wrong about his U.S. Senate race last uh, campaign election cycle. I thought he was going to do it, and I was completely wrong. But on this one, I just I suspected that what he was looking to do was ultimately what he did, which is to position himself as more of an authoritative voice in the Republican Party, not just as a referee of calling balls and strikes in the Republican primary, but maybe trying to elevate his name, his voice, his image to more of a national conversation to encourage the party to regroup. And as he's aggressively doing right now, to move away from the Trump base of Republican politics. So he has a he has an interesting and, I would say, a significant role in both the New Hampshire primary now as a neutral entity and one who would be the most coveted endorsement in New Hampshire, but also a national conversation where I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see him more and more often on the national TV networks offering commentary for the primary field. And we already have seen him quite a bit on the national yes. news shows. Uh, yeah, he's made an impressive lap through all of this. And quite frankly, if you're if you're kicking tires on running for a national office like he did as a sitting governor, he took perfect and full advantage of being able to be on virtually every national news or network talk show that yeah. you could be on. I mean, he even he even ended up on ABC's The View. Yeah. So that yeah. I mean, talk about being able to check the box of different broadcast shows. He was all over the place. So yeah. he did a really good job of, of elevating his voice and uh, and name recognition, and we'll see what he does moving forward from there. There's a lot of speculation about what he'll do next, of whether he'll run for the historic, unprecedented fifth term in New Hampshire, or whether he'll step back and maybe find another way to stay high profile and make some money in the process, because you're not going to ever, <laughs> you're not putting your kids through college as the governor of New Hampshire. Uh, that's a, that's not It's not the best paycheck. So he, um, it'll be interesting to see, but I think one of the options in front of him is to be, quite frankly, a national, um, what we would refer to lovingly as a talking head. He could end up on Fox or CNN or sure. one of the cable networks as a paid contributor um, offering commentary for what's going on with current events. And, of course, there's a whole primetime show open at Fox from 8 to 9 right now. That's right. You know? That's right. <laughs> the- yeah, so I could, that could be very interesting. And with Chris Christie running for president, he has now stepped away from the role, the very same role, uh, as um, as a commentator and contributor on the payroll for ABC. Right. So there, this job is available, and, uh, and Chris Sununu, the person, has the kind of energy and, uh, I would say, personality that plays well on live television. You can't, you know, you, you can't be a monotone sort of flatline delivery, non-interesting human and do the TV gig. And he's got that he's got that vibe. 
that he can do that job. And, you know, that's a that's a pretty well-paying job right there. If he's oh, yeah. Not against traveling to New York City on a regular basis. There you go. Or, you know what? They could probably make it that he can just stay right here in New Hampshire. Why not? Right. Probably. With, with, well, hey, just go down the road to WMUR. They've got plenty of satellite rooms and studios. You could just plug in from there. So, yeah, there's no doubt he could do a lot of the work right here from New Hampshire. Yeah. But I'm sure he'll be asked to be at least on the big nights, either going to New York or Washington. Oh, yeah. Really, from here, piece of cake. So that's that's kind of where I see his path going. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's going to run for governor, to be honest, Ken, because I, it feels like there are too many other Republicans who, and listen, we kind of rope-a-doped this last time, there are too many other Republicans who are lining up and getting their resources ready, who are acting with more confidence than I think we saw a couple of years ago when we simply weren't 100% sure what Sununu was going to do. But, be, I mean, just between Frank Adelblue, Kelly Ayotte, uh, Kelly Ayotte and Chuck Morris, those three are all three working it and getting themselves organized and doing fundraising and preparing for battle. It just says to me that over the course of the next few months, the governor will probably announce that he's not running for reelection. I think that's the that's certainly the direction that a lot of his fellow Republican peers are are aiming for. Well, it'll be interesting to follow what uh, Chris Sununu decides to do. But I think uh, right now, as, as you mentioned, uh, didn't say it in so many words, but his number one goal is to defeat Donald Trump and make sure that Trump is not the Republican nominee. That's right. That's right. And, it, you know, it, it really is an interesting exercise of numbers, Ken. We talked about it just a few minutes ago. But when you've got a candidate in a large field who has essentially wrapped around his finger 25 to 30 percent of those who will turn out and vote, you've got a lot to overcome for the rest of the field. But the math gets very different a few steps through this Republican primary process, and it, it gets the road gets harder for Donald Trump as he goes along because that 30% starts to shrink when you narrow the field from the roughly 15 major candidates we have now to maybe two or three other options. Then this becomes a lot more interesting of an exercise, but it's also the narrowing of picking up those critical early state electoral votes as well along the way. So he's a force to be reckoned with no matter what, but there will have to be some coordination among the rest of the field. And I think it's, it's almost like Chris Sinun is playing the role of the sheepdog here <laughs> for the sheep of this field, right? You got to keep them going in some yeah, direction right. and, and narrow that field and direct them in some way, shape or form. So, you know, like I said, I, I see him playing a really interesting and unique role in this process. Yeah, no doubt. And is it safe to say, Scott, that uh, uh, Governor DeSantis has the, the best chance to, to challenge Trump in New Hampshire? I think he does at the moment. Um, the reason why I am um, um, sort of re- reserving any real judgment is because right now everything structurally works best for DeSantis. He's got the, the sort of the right message. He's got this sort of like national reputation of being the first alternative to Donald Trump. Um, but for those whom I've spoken to who have seen him up close in New Hampshire so far, the, the interesting observation to me about DeSantis, and this is not a knock on him, this is his path, is that he's come from a big state where the events are less grassroots oriented and more um, from behind the podium speech giving kinds of platforms. And there's less true one on one, honest exchange, grassroots kind of things going on with DeSantis. And so that is a critical X factor in New Hampshire presidential primary politics. Your ability to stand in front of a big crowd behind a podium and deliver the line and then step behind that podium and get down into the trenches with voters and make the personal connections, that's a very challenging task. And 
I think that right now, what I've heard is DeSantis isn't the most comfortable in that vibe. So it'll be interesting to see who rises as a potential alternative to DeSantis. Because I think at the moment, Ken, right now, there are so many other options. The polls seem to suggest Trump is the front runner. DeSantis is the first alternative. And then you've got this unique and interesting battle of a bunch of different names that no one has really stepped out and aggressively distinguished herself or himself as the second alternative to Donald Trump. So got some big names, got some folks that are definitely attracting a crowd. I mean, Nikki Haley and, and Chris Christie will have no problems packing a room. The question becomes, can they build themselves into the true alternative to the Trump, almost DeSantis block of Republicans in the field right now. So there's a lot to be decided. And um, the ball is in the court of all of these alternative candidates to Donald Trump. It'll be interesting to see. It will be. Scott, can you stay with us for one more segment? Sure. All right. You bet, brother. Scott Spradling is with us from the Spradling Group and the Scott Spradling Band, which is just terrific. And we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental, Kale & Company Live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We will be right back. Kale & Company Live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Scott Spradling is with us from the Spradling Group and the incredible Scott Spradling Band, which I have now seen twice, Scott. And uh, I can't wait to see you guys again. You're a lot Thanks, of fun. Bud. You're a great supporter. Thank you. We have a lot of fun. It is It is a lot of fun. And it it, it looks like you're having fun on stage, and that's, that's important, too. So what is your take? We've been talking uh, pretty much all Republicans uh, here uh, this morning. But uh, what, what's your take on the candidacy of uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.? You know, it's a really interesting one. And I, I sort of think back to um, the days of, of the challenges uh, during the, the Vietnam War of, um, uh, of, of that time frame when you had a sitting president with LBJ and then you had a challenger who sort of had a title, had some name recognition and was running what I would consider a symbolic campaign against the sitting president to show that his own party was not content with the Vietnam War, with the direction of the country, with the decisions being made. And that campaign essentially moved LBJ out of the White House. He, had, he, he made the decision that he would remember the, the famous uh, press conference, I will, not, uh, I, I will not run and I will not accept the nomination of my party going forward. And it changed the course of national politics because of a primary challenge. And I think in watching Kennedy, we're seeing this similar type of thing shape up. Now, I don't think the same outcome is going to happen because Biden has already announced that he's running for re-election. But this is a warning signal flare to the Democratic Party that the support behind Biden is weak and weakening. And there is, he's, he's at a very difficult time right now for a wide variety of reasons. And I mean, listen, I, I don't think it's a political science, rocket science to be able to say that Joe Biden's best and arguably only pathway to reelection is if Donald Trump wins the nomination for the Republican Party. That I think right now, if you match up just about anybody, and I understand national polls don't have it this way, 
But national polls don't vote in real time and judge the charm and the and the, the character and the, the, the politics of the moment um, of, of two 3D live people speaking. And so if, for example, if it's Ron DeSantis versus Joe Biden, that's a very different conversation. If it's Nikki Haley or Chris Christie, very different conversation and different vibe. I don't know, given the, um, the, the status of things right now, given Joe Biden's traditional weak um, performance on the campaign trail, and I'm not talking about his age, although that does become a conversation. Um, I'm talking about the fact that Joe Biden has never been a polished public speaker. He's never been strong on the campaign trail. He's certainly not done well in New Hampshire. So this question about a Kennedy campaign trickles into a very interesting conversation about what voters may or may not do. And I think what we're seeing with Kennedy's relative success is that Democrats are going to be really kicking tires on alternatives not named Donald Trump in this election cycle. It brings interesting opportunities for Republicans who are looking to take back the White House. And I think it's forcing the Democratic Party to really look inwardly at what their standard bearer is able to pull off in 2024. And the last thing I'll say about this, Ken, is that Kennedy's appearance on the trail and the numbers that he's showing, not just in New Hampshire, but nationally, helps the New Hampshire primary argument because he's he is waging this conversation and this campaign largely here in New Hampshire. So while the National Democratic Party, the Democratic National Committee, is playing politics or trying to move another state ahead of New Hampshire, what's happening on the ground right now is all bad news for Joe Biden in terms of the primary state lineup and in terms of Democrats' collective willingness to look at alternatives to the Biden presidency. And and I think there is a, a very good chance that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. will win the Democratic New Hampshire primary because Joe Biden isn't even participating in it. I agree. I think it could send a very interesting signal to the Democratic Party and to Joe Biden uh, that, you know, don't don't mess with the Granite State. And we take it personally and we take the role seriously. And I'm not even sure until the general election that we'll even see Joe Biden campaign in New Hampshire, because, you know, the thing is, and this is what irked me about this decision in the first place. The DNC is overlooking the reality that New Hampshire is one of only about a handful, maybe seven or eight states that truly decide the presidency. We only have four electorals, as you know, Ken, but we are an oversized state in terms of the bellwether states in the country that are truly purple that will go one way or the other. Because we know New York is blue. We know California is blue. We know some other big uh, we know that. Florida seems to be tacking more towards the Republican red and that Texas has been an interesting battleground, but it's still an important Republican stronghold. There are very few states that really do bounce back and forth. In fact, Ohio was the headliner conversation for years, but the last couple of cycles has been very conservatively red as well. So if you're a campaign nationally trying to build your efforts to win the election, you're not spending time in the states that you've already got in your back pocket. You've got to go to those places that matter most. And that's a 3D chess game. New Hampshire matters. And for the DNC to set fire to its relationship to the first of the nation primary state could boomerang around and do damage. The 2000 election between Gore and Bush makes the perfect argument. Florida wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered if Gore had won New Hampshire and Bush narrowly won New Hampshire. 
Those four electorals arguably made Florida matter. So you can run the math, but every election cycle, New Hampshire's in play. And to, and to alienate the state on a process like this is foolhardy. It's, it's, um, it, it will bring long-term consequences if Dems don't straighten their stuff out. It always comes down to the Granite State. No, no doubt about that. <laughs> and, of course, Biden has said that he's not going to debate any Democrat during the, uh, the primary process. He's already made that uh, pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that, that is his purview. He is the sitting president of the United States. So to a certain extent, I, I get that. But you, um, you shut down the concerned voices within your own party at your own peril. And if it looks like he's starting to be tone deaf among fellow Democrats, that's not going to help his case either. And again, my sense is the best pathway for Biden to have four more years is to hope that Donald Trump wins on the Republican side because he's such a lightning rod that it, it will be hard for Donald Trump to win over the independent hearts and minds to put him back in office. It's just a tough, especially given all the current events, that is a tough path. But Biden's path is, is equally challenging if Trump is not the nominee. So if, if I uh, make you uh, an odds maker, uh, Scott Spradling, uh, do you do you think what are the percent? What's the percentage uh, of likelihood that Joe Biden will, in fact, be the Democratic standard bearer uh, in the 2024 election percentage wise? What's what would you rank? So I think. Yeah. In terms of him actually winning the nomination, I think it's extremely high. I, I Right now, I would put his ability to recapture the Democratic nomination for his own party at 90 percent and above. I think it's a very small window of opportunity for another Democrat to come along. I think Kennedy, like I said, I call this more of a symbolic challenge than a substantive one, because I don't know that Kennedy has the horsepower, the organizational strength. I mean, heck, I don't know that he's got the vocal cords to be able to withstand being able to do the rigors of this type of work where your currency is your voice. Um, I don't know that Kennedy is the guy who can pull off such a monumental upset. But I do think that this blows open the door for um, for independent voters to say, golly, they're, you know, I know the Republican battle is wide open, but the Democrats don't have their house in order. So that's my sense. I think Biden is definitely the nominee, but he comes in potentially wounded with little momentum out of the Democratic Party process. That doesn't help him in a, in a re-election bid. Now, you know, there are a lot of revelations that are beginning to surface about Joe Biden and uh, the entire Biden clan that I think are going to be tremendously damaging, ultimately. Certainly some unresolved conversations, Ken. I I agree with you. There there are things that are still out there that are questions that don't have answers. Yep, exactly. And I know we'll be hearing more about those in the the not-too-distant future. Scott Spradling, as always, a pleasure to have you with us. Great insight, as always. I always learn a lot when I have you uh, on the program. (laughs) And uh, it it is really, you are a a treasure uh, in New Hampshire. And I I think a lot of people realize that. And always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Ken. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to be able to chat with you. All right. Hope to have you back again before the big race in Loudoun. <laughs> you got it, In brother. July. You got it. All right. Thanks, Scott. Take care. You so, too. So that's just about going to do it. I want to tell you that uh, we are going to uh, not talk politics tomorrow, but we're going to have uh, two local authors with us. Paul Brogan and Margaret Porter. 
So we will be joined by uh, Paul and Margaret tomorrow here on the program. Many of you have uh, read their books uh, over the years, and uh, I know they're, they're both working on others uh, at this time. So it'll be a fun show tomorrow with uh, our good friend Paul Brogan and uh, Margaret Porter appearing for the first time here on Kale & Company. We thank you very much for joining us on this edition of the program. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental with individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. We will join you tomorrow right after 8 o'clock. And if you missed any of this program today with Scott or want to hear it again, tune in just after 7 o'clock tonight right here on WKXL nhtalkradio.com. Make it a great flag day, everybody.